Thanks for listening. The following audio is a teaching from Calvary Tucson's Young Adult Ministry, Ignition. For more teachings, information, or if you'd like to support our ministry, please visit us online at ignitiontucson.com. We pray you're blessed by the message. Genesis 28 is where we are at right now in our study through Genesis, the series entitled Multiplied. Something the Lord's been putting on my heart, though, is, is squeezing in little moments of worldview. And if you, if you, were you guys, how many of you guys went with me through the worldview series, the biblical worldview series? Okay, so things are crazy right now in our world, if you hadn't noticed. And never before has there been such a battle over truth. And never before has it been more needed that the Christians would stand up for what biblical truth is. And there's a lot of political issues that have been shied away from simply because they're political and they're taboo. But today we need to stand up boldly for them as Christians. And the one I want to talk with you guys about, in fact, I'm going to interject these periodically and talk with you guys about several of them. The one I want to talk with you guys about tonight is the sanctity of life in the womb. This is going to be brief. This is, this is extra credit. This is for free before we get into the teaching. But I just want you to know emphatically that as you go through the pages of Scripture, life begins at conception. If you look to the, the Bible as the authority for truth and the authority on the subject of abortion and, and conception, life does begin at conception. God considers life at conception, and every child that has ever been conceived in a womb, regardless of the nature of that conception, has been ordained by God. Their life has been ordained by God. And as we've talked about before, only God is the creator of life, He's the giver of life, and only God has the right to ultimately decide who lives and who dies. Only God has the right to take a life. And so I, I want to I educate you if you don't know these things. If you do, I want to remind you of them. And if you do know these things and know them well, I want you to be able to communicate them well because this is biblical truth that we, need, that we need to proclaim and we need to stand on today. And there'll be more to come. More biblical worldview snippets or sermonettes, if you will. Okay? So with that said, and your Bible's open to Genesis 28, let's pray for our message. And Father, we take a moment and just want to thank you for the Word of God, this amazing book that we have in our laps. It is the authority for truth. Lord, you've preserved it throughout the generations so that we would know your heart, so that we would know what you think, so that we would know what the truth is regarding life and godliness. And we have everything we need pertaining to life and godliness found in the pages of your Word. We also ask God that you'd give us the Holy Spirit to discern these things. Um, that you would help us to really grow in our walks as we grow in our understanding of the Scriptures. And as we look to Genesis 28, that you would be our teacher and be our guide this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the title of tonight's message is Get Your Own Faith. Get your hands off my faith and get your own, okay? Just get your own, guys. I don't mean it in a selfish way like that, but what I mean is it's very important that you have your own faith. Now, we can benefit from the faith of others, can't we? We can be encouraged by it, but you can't live off the faith of others. You need to get your own faith. You really do. And in this chapter, we'll see Jacob get his own faith. Last week, we saw Jacob being sent away from his home, the only place he really knew, that what he was familiar with, in order that he could find a wife and also so he could escape the murderous plans of his brother. Pretty good time to get away, I would say, when your brother wants to kill you. It'd make a really good Southwest commercial, right? Time to get away. Have you, have you alienated yourself from your family? Does, does your brother want to murder you? Fly Southwest Airlines. Where bags fly for free, right? It's like a good Southwest commercial. So he's, got, he's like, I got to get out of here. 
Um, but through the craziness of chapter 27, God sends Jacob out on his own path. And the next step for Jacob, according to God's plan, is to break away from his family to go to, um, to grow more as the man God is calling him to be. Jacob, all he's known is, is his family, right? He's that homebody. He's, he's been surrounded by a dominating mother. We, we've talked about Rebecca. We love Rebecca, but she's a little dominating, as you can see. Like most good moms are, they are a little dominating sometimes. Uh, an ill father who really wasn't very connected to Jacob a whole lot. And, of course, a worldly brother who's constantly at odds with Jacob. And God's like, look, it's time to, to separate you from your family for a little bit here so that you can grow. And it seems that distance from his family and from these family dynamics is what was needed to move Jacob forward in his walk with God. And, guys, this is an important principle in pursuing God's call in your life. And that is there can be a time to set out on your own with the Lord. There can be a season where God says, come out of your comfort zone, come out of your current support system, your current influences, because I want to show you something new. I want to grow you, and I want to stretch you. Now, unfortunately, many people do this, but they do it to leave the Lord, especially in this age group, in the young adults ministry. It's, in fact, it's, it's a spiritual slaughter. I don't know if you guys look, see, view your peer group in the spiritual war that you're in, but thousands of people your age depart from their homes to go to colleges and walk away from the faith. They leave God, and that's not what I'm talking about. In fact, there's also many people who are sent out of the nest when they're not ready to face the temptations of the world or the hard questions that you know, atheistic professors will throw at them, and they're not prepared for it. But for those of you who are firm in the faith, those of you who are following the will of Christ for your life, it can be a very good, healthy thing to step out of your comfort zone, break away from your influences, whether those are good or bad influences. Right? You want to get, you want to get away from the bad influences. Some of you guys live in really unhealthy home situations. You have maybe unhealthy parents or unhealthy siblings. And you really need to consider, maybe it's a season where you need to get out and separate yourself so that you can grow and mature as the man or woman of God He's calling you to be. Certainly we want to get away from bad influences. But even good influences, sometimes it's good to, to separate yourself. Some of you have amazing parents who just love the Lord. They're awesome examples. But sometimes you, you run on your, the fumes of your parents' faith. Sometimes it's the support system at church. You're kind of used to doing things. You've settled in. And you never know what kind of growth will happen if you break away into something new that God is leading you in. So when you go out with God, as Jacob did, there's potential for amazing growth in your walk with God. Now, Jacob, he can't always be directed by Rebekah. He can't always live off of Isaac's experiences with God. He has to live his own life of faith, and so do we. And in this chapter, this is what we're going to see Jacob doing. So let's pick it up down in verse 10. It says, Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and laid down in that place to sleep. So he takes a rock, tries to get all comfy cozy to fall asleep. Now remember, Jacob was not the outdoorsman. That was Esau. Jacob is the homebody. Like Jacob is more of the guy that's into glamping. 
rather than camping. And I'm, I'm with him. I would, I would much rather sleep in a bed than sleep in a bag on the ground. <laughs> Call me crazy. That's just, that's just me. You know, and, and he's, he's out there. He's, he's really totally on his own, unsupplied. Like I picture him, he's like, well, what do I have? I got this tunic and I can grab a rock to kind of make a pillow with. He's probably got like a lunch sack from Rebecca with a little PBJ in it, you know, from his mom, you know. A little mom note, don't forget your tunic, you know. But he's, he's out on his own now, and he's, he's got the bare essentials. And as he settles for the night, he grabs this rock to use for a pillow. And I just want to talk about this rock uh, for a minute here, um, because it's become quite the object of superstition in different cultures. So a little random history for you here. Um, some believe, according to folklore, that Jeremiah took this rock and brought it to Ireland. I don't know how or when, but somehow in between writing you know, the prophecies and the Babylonian exile, he managed to get this rock to Ireland. Okay, So if you go to Scotland, it made its way to Scotland. If you go to Scotland, there's this stone that some of us who were on the Scotland team two years ago on missions, we went and saw this thing. It's called the Stone of Scone, the Stone of Destiny, and they claim it was the pillow of Jacob. Now, I think they've done testing since then, and they've discovered it came from a quarry in Stone, in Scone, there in Scotland. So it's totally a hoax. But just, it shows you the superstition surrounding things of the Bible, and particularly this rock. But it's, it's so significant. In fact, the Anglo-Saxons who settled among the Celts, who basically took over the Celtic people groups and became England, these Britons, they, um, they believed, initially a sect of them believed that they were the, the heirs of the monarchy of Israel. They said they were the ten lost tribes. And to this day, this stone of scone, Jacob's pillow, is used in the coronation ceremonies of kings and queens in England. So the next time uh, the power is transferred, when Queen Elizabeth passes away, and the power transfers, and they have another coronation service, they'll bring out the Stone of Scone from Scotland, from Edinburgh, and they'll sit on it and get coronated on Jacob's pillow. Okay? So it just shows you how much superstition can get surrounded by these, these, uh, you know, these relics, I guess. But there's really nothing to suggest in the Scriptures that there's anything special about this stone other than it was an uncomfortable pillow for Jacob. And he'll, he will set it up as a memorial stone. But just a fun fact. Verse 12, it says, And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder, or a stairway, set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. So he has this interesting dream. I mean, we could have some crazy dreams, right? You ever have crazy dreams? Where you just like, you wake up and you're like... That was so real, but what on earth was that about? Like, just so random. And 99.9% of the time, it means absolutely nothing. It was just like, whatever you ate the night before was messing with your brain. or You know what I mean? But sometimes, the Lord will speak to us through dreams. In fact, in Joel chapter 2, God says, as a byproduct of the outpouring of His Spirit, He will, he will give dreams. That people will see vision. And people will, will dream dreams from the Lord. We see this throughout the scriptures. In just a few chapters, Jacob's son Joseph will have significant dreams about his future, foretelling what will happen to him. The Pharaoh that Jacob serves will have a dream from God. Of course, you know Nebuchadnezzar had a dream from God that Daniel interpreted. 
Even in the New Testament, Joseph, the husband of Mary, the non-biological dad of Jesus, had dreams. God warned him in his dreams. So sometimes God speaks through dreams, and he speaks to Jacob through a dream right now. And it's a significant dream. So let's spend a little bit of time just looking at this first part. I want to break it down for you guys. First off, the, the, the focal point of this dream is this ladder, this staircase. And it goes from earth up into heaven. And as you'll see, it'll, the heaven opens and God will be there speaking to Jacob from heaven. Now, I don't know if you picked up on this, but it's similar to the Tower of Babel. Right? This was the goal of the Tower of Babel, that man by our efforts would push together and work hard and strive to make our own way to heaven, to make our own stairway to heaven. And God put the kibosh on that because he's like, that's not how it works, guys. Like, that's not how this, you could keep building and building and you're not going to make it. In fact, we have some amazing skyscrapers today. You can go to the very top, you're not going to see heaven. You know, that, because that's not how it works. In Babel, the Tower of Babel, became a representation and is to us a representation of religion by works. Men working their way to earn their way to heaven, to earn their salvation. And I want to tell you guys, this is the description of every single religion with the exception of biblical Christianity. Every religion out there will say, do this, do this, do that, and maybe, just maybe you can go to heaven. Maybe you'll get God's approval. Maybe you can reach nirvana. It's all these rules and regulations. The only one that stands out among all that noise is biblical Christianity that says you can't do it. You cannot build your way to heaven. That's why God has done it for you. This, that's where God's grace comes in. That's where the gospel comes in. And here we have this ladder showing us this other alternative. The, the real way to heaven. A way to heaven that's not built by man, but a way to heaven that's provided by God for man to get from earth to heaven in the presence of God. More specifically, it speaks of Jesus. We know this because John chapter 1, Jesus calls Nathanael to follow him. And as, as he's talking to Nathanael, he says, I tell you, from this day forward, you will see angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man, saying, I am the fulfillment. I am this ladder. Of course, he's a lot clearer about it in John 14, 6, when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father but by me. Jesus is the only path that can get us into heaven. This is the gospel, guys. We do not build our way to heaven, but we, we come to it through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that is good news. You're like, Sean, that's so narrow. That's so specific. It's just one way. Yeah, it's one way. And it happens to be the most simple way of all. That God loved you so much that he's created a way that if you would have a relationship with him, you would enter in without having to jump through hoops and earn his love and approval because you already have it. That's the good news. So not only is the, the latter a picture of the gospel, it's also a look into the spiritual world. As it says, we have these angels descending down to earth on this ladder and ascending from earth onto this ladder. It's, it's an actual amazing picture an insight into what's taking place around us that we can't see day to day. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14 tells us that angels are ministering spirits. They're serving spirits. And their job is to serve those who will inherit salvation. To minister to those who will inherit salvation. They're here right this moment, ministering in ways that we can't even see. 
The Bible says don't forget to entertain strangers because you might, you might unknowingly entertain an angel. Sometimes they appear in physical form. Some of you guests, we're going to just kind of look at you strange. The ones I just met tonight, I'm going to be like, are you an angel? No, but that's what we learn about angels in the New Testament. And here we get this amazing picture of these, these ministers who are serving on our behalf. They're working like busy bees coming, in, coming and going from heaven. It's not like one at a time, like every 15 minutes. Oh, i got to go to work. They're like ascending and descending up and down this ladder. They are busy working in our midst, working on our behalf. It reminded me of um, Elisha and the Syrian army. Do you guys remember that account? Elisha, he's surrounded. He and his servant are surrounded by the Syrian army. And his servant's freaking out. And Elijah's just like cool as a cucumber. And he's like, why aren't you freaking out? Like, we are, we're goners. There's no way to get out of this. And Elisha said, don't worry. There are more for us than there are who are against us. And he said, Lord, open his eyes so he can see. And the Lord opens the servant's eyes and he looks out the window and he sees thousands of angels in their chariots of fire surrounding the Syrian army. He's like, wow, okay, never mind. I'm not freaking out at all. And of course, the Lord gets him out of that. But it reminded me that there are so many angels around here sent to minister to us. And it's good to remind ourselves that, yes, there are demons. There are enemies of your soul at work around you. There, there's difficulties in the world, that things are bleak in this world, but there are twice as many angels fighting on your behalf, fighting on my behalf, than there are demons. We have this support system around us that we sometimes forget about, don't we? These angels coming and going. And Jacob's like, man, this is amazing. Verse 13. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. Let's stop there. Now, I want to point out that this is the first time for Jacob that God is speaking to him directly. I mean, what a tremendous privilege to have the living God like communicating to you. And here God shows up. And when does He show up? He shows up when Jacob strikes out on his own. Again, coming back to that, that idea of getting out on your own, of, of, of seeking God and having your own faith. And it's, this is true, guys. God, God meets us in special ways when we step out in faith, when we step out of our comfort zones. God is often there to meet us. I was thinking of, of Peter's experience on the Sea of Galilee. Such a picture of this. I don't know if you remember this, but Jesus said, hey, go, you guys go, and I'm going to meet you on the other side. They didn't realize Jesus was going to walk across the lake to meet them, but he was planning on walking and meeting them on the other side. And as he's about to pass them on the, on the lake, they're freaking out because they're like, there's a ghost. There's a ghost on the, on, the, on the sea. And then they realize it's Jesus. And then they freak out because Jesus is walking on the water. And I love Peter's faith in this moment. Peter's standing in the boat. And you know Peter was used to the boat. He was a fisherman. It was his profession. He had the, some amazing sea legs, right? And as he sees Jesus walking on the water, he's like, Lord, if it's you, ask me to come to you. It was almost like he was putting God to the test. He's like, Jesus, I can't believe you're walking on water. If you really are who you say you are, let me walk on water too. And it was just this moment of a tremendous faith. And Jesus, I picture him smiling like, come on, let's do this. You know, so, P so Peter jumps out of the boat and Peter walked on water. Jesus wasn't the only man to walk on water. In that moment, Peter was walking. And of course, he saw the waves and he freaked out and he started to fall and he cried help and Jesus grabbed him. But in that moment, Peter experienced God. 
He experienced Jesus in new ways he hadn't before because he stepped out of his comfort zone. He experienced the power of God to equip him. He walked on water. He experienced the, the power of doubt, the, the dangers of doubt, really. And he also experienced the, 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 um, the swiftness of Jesus' rescue. Jesus was right there. Like he, he, he learned Jesus was there to hold him, to lift him up. I talk to a lot of my friends who've stepped out in faith to church plant. Things get scary and hairy. And, and one of the things that all of them have told me is, man, it's just crazy how Jesus, how the Lord provides. The Lord just shows up when you're like, I don't know how this is going to happen. And then that money comes in the, ba- the bank or the check comes in, whatever. But we learn to depend on Christ, the swiftness of his rescue. Now, I want to ask you guys, in what ways might God be calling you to step out of your comfort zone? Think about it. In what ways might God be calling you to grow? How might he be leading you to step out and experience him in new ways? Like, it might be something drastic, like moving out of state, you know, to go to a worship school. You know, moving out of state to do something apart from your family. Maybe moving overseas, you know, to, maybe to do missions. Maybe it's something drastic like that. Or maybe it's something as simple as finally reaching out to that person God's been telling you to contact. Or just getting involved serving somewhere new. Just something simple like that. But in what ways is God calling you to try something new? Calling you to do something to meet, so that he can meet you in new ways. Jacob is out of his comfort zone. He's sleeping on rocks. And God, this is where God speaks to him and meets him. Hey everyone, Pastor Sean here. You've been listening to a teaching from Ignition Tucson, the Young Adults Ministry of Calvary Tucson. Our hope is that through this ministry, your heart would be ignited to live boldly for Christ. If you live in the greater Tucson area and you're between the ages of 18 and 28, we want to invite you out to join us in person. We meet every Thursday at 6.30 p.m. at Calvary Tucson's East Campus on Speedway in Camino Seco. We hope to see you there. God bless.